Amen, and good morning again, and Happy New Year again. 2023 is here, ready or not. We are walking into a new year, and we do hope you're well. Um, what a song to kick off the new year, January 1st, to sing Christ Be Magnified. May my wife look at my life and be magnified, may Christ be magnified, and my kids look at me and may Christ be magnified. And I hope that as you sang that song, that you prayed, God, I want this to be the case, that when the people that I live with and the people that are around, are around me and my neighbors and the people that I work with look at me and look at how I talk and how I live and how I give and how I act and how I work, that they would see a magnified Jesus. And that's a, a great prayer to start the year. Hopefully you've had some time uh, this weekend or even today to reflect on 2023, the year behind us with 2022, the year that's in front of us. I like to make some goals for the new year. I'm hoping to run a couple more races, another triathlon and a half marathon. I'd love for you to join me in this goal. But hopefully you have some goals, not just physical goals, but spiritual goals, family goals. Um, you know, we hope to take a trip out west this summer with our family. So that's a fun, something we're looking forward to. The, a spiritual goal for me personally, the word that I've chosen to to pray over and to grow in is the word patience with my dogs and my, yeah, my, the people in my life, my little kiddos. Uh, but we hope that as we start a new year, that it, it gives you an opportunity to do what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk as wise people, not as unwise, making the best use of your time. And I think this is a good season for us to heed Paul's command to look carefully. How am I walking? How am I living? How am I making the best use of my time? Am I valuing what matters most? And so in the lobby, um, in our welcome desk, we have a couple of guides to help you with some spiritual goals maybe. We have a, a prayer guide that I use to help me focus while I pray that you're free to pick up and to use as you maybe hope to grow in your prayer life. Maybe you want to grow in your study of God's Word. We have grow group flyers at the welcome desk in our lobby. We would love to put you in a grow group, groups of two or three men, two or three women that confess sin, that study God's Word, and they pray for one another. And th this is the way, a great way for you to grow, not just in studying God's Word, but being the family of God with with other people. And so that's in the lobby uh, this morning. And then this year, we kick off by going back to 1 Samuel chapter 27. Um, if you like to know kind of a roadmap of where we're going, uh, we've got four more chapters after today that we're going to spend the next four weeks in 1 Samuel. We'll take a little break that fourth weekend. So in four weeks in Pastor Dan Gilbert and I are going to be teaching a, a one-day Saturday class. We're calling these classes equipping classes. And this particular class will be um, are, are on, are these the last days? So end times, are we in the end times? What should we do about it? How should we respond? And so it's not, it's not going to be 
pure lecture. It's going to be sermonic, so there's application. Like, how do we respond to, to where we find ourselves in our culture today? And so we invite you to come out for that. After we're done with 1 Samuel, maybe this is not what you want to hear. We're going to go into 2 Samuel. Um, you know, we, I was kind of going back and forth, and as I was talking to my wife Ashley about it, she said, how can we stop studying this story? We're, we're right in the middle of it. It's like a great movie. David's not even king yet, and so we're going to pick right back up in 2 Samuel. It's a great, the story continues. David becomes king, and so we'll, we'll do that, and we'll see how long that takes us. This morning, chapter 27, we'll go through the first two verses of chapter 28, and then we'll pray. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David with his two wives, Hanoam of Jezreel, Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites and the Jizrites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as shore to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep the oxen, the donkey, the camels, the garments, and came back to Akish. And when Akish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against Negeb of Judah, or against Negeb of Jeremelites, or against Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom. All the while, he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Akish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Verse 1, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Akish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Akish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Akish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your word, we turn in confidence, believing that through your Holy Spirit, the word can become alive. That through your Holy Spirit, you can open our minds and our hearts to receive its truth. And so, God, we pray that beyond my voice, beyond our distractions and our inability to focus and to hear, God, that beyond all of that, your word would transform our lives today because of the power and the work of your Holy Spirit. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So we, we jump back into 1 Samuel, and I will admit it, it does feel like it has been a long time since we've been here. And so uh, we can't just jump into the chapter here. This is a story. This is a movie, perfectly put together story from Samuel. And so to just jump in here in chapter 27 and 28, I think doesn't help us in trying to understand what Samuel is doing. So we're going to do a quick review um, of the book of 1 Samuel. Many, many moons ago, we started this book. And I said, right when we started, that this is not just random Bible stories that Samuel puts together for us. But instead of being just a compilation of separate stories, this is what we call theological history that all these stories are together to make a point that the author wants us to see, that he's put these stories back to back to back to, to prove something, to show us something about God. And we said at the very beginning, what is that point that Samuel is giving us through the book of 1 Samuel? I'll put it on the screen. God is reaching down into the hopelessness turmoil and the dysfunction of Israel, and he's providentially leading people to worship the one true king. God wants his people to know he is the only king, and he's going to give them a king so that they will learn that if you turn to anyone else, you worship anyone else, you will be severely failed and let down. And so God gives them this king teaching them, I am your king, and a king is coming who is better than these kings, both Saul and David. And so we saw with the story of Saul, this is what happens when, this is what happens when you turn to an earthly king instead of looking to the heavenly king. It was a colossal failure, and the people learned it. They learned, it's the hard way of learning. Saul cannot he is not our king. And Saul was rejected. The scene where he comes in and tries to worship, and Samuel says to him, you're wasting your time trying to worship and offer sacrifices. You live in sin, Saul. You are making noise, and you are wasting your time. And Samuel tells Saul that the kingdom has been torn from him. But God's plan didn't fail for Israel to give them a king. We meet another king, King David. Yes, he is small and obscure and unworthy, but he's anointed by Samuel. And so this is right in the middle of 1 Samuel, and you're anticipating when this happens, Saul has been rejected, David has been anointed, you anticipate David just in the next chapter becoming king, but we know what happens that this doesn't happen. Instead, it's another 15 years for David from when he's anointed to when he becomes a king. We got another book to get to before we even get there. And what's God doing in these 15 years? He's chiseling, he is shaping, he is preparing, and he is molding David 15 years to be a king who loves him and obeys the Father. And so God is working in the life of David for 15 years. I mean, how, how does that sound to you, though? Forget 15 years. Let's just say for 2023, God is going to mold us and shape us and chisel us to be the man and the woman that loves and honors and pursues God. 
mean, that's hard. God, take away what you need to take away, that I would be a husband that magnifies you. God, do whatever you have to do in my life that I would be a mom and a wife, a teenager that follows and loves and serves you. This was the reality for David. And and what does it look like? For nine long chapters, chapter 19 to chapter 27, what's David doing? He is running. Saul senses that David's gonna take the throne and we know what Saul is like. He, He can't stand it and he says, I will squash David like a flea. I will take what, I will keep what is mine. No one will take it from me. And so David runs and he flees and he hides in caves and he escapes through windows. He ducks spears. He acts like a crazy man over and over. It's like the same story where David is left just hanging on to God, waiting for God. And what we see about David, it's a really comforting thing we see is, through these nine chapters of David being on the run. David is just like us. David has really good days and David has really bad days. There are days that David takes the circumstances that that surround his life and he is seeking God. But then there are other days where the circumstances just burden his shoulders and he looks more like Saul than he does David. And it's just this roller coaster for David. Some days he looks like the man after God's own heart. Many days he does not. And so we see a pattern start to form through the book. Chapter 24, David is on the ups. Saul comes in the cave. His pants are down. His weapons are down. I mean, it is the perfect opportunity for David to take what he believes God has given him. And what what does David say? He would say, the Lord forbid that I take something that's not mine. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And so chapter 24, David is on a high note. I mean, David is, he he is patiently waiting and trusting God, doing the right thing the right way. I mean, it's this incredible scene of self-control here in chapter 24. And then what happens in chapter 25? I mean, David just comes down to the lowest of lows. It's the story of Nabal. He won't invite David to his sheep shearing party. Remember that? I mean, it, the contrast between these two chapters is just, it's, it is so clear to see what happens when David doesn't get invited to the party. What does he say to his, uh, the, the language? Remember, every man strap on your sword. We are going to take care of this guy. And so he loses it. He loses it. The same things he was saying in the cave the chapter before. I will patiently wait for God to give me. God will provide for me. God will do this in his time. Now we see someone who's just snapped, angry, passionate, vengeful. And what does God do here? Even in the low time, God meets David and he saves him. He sends Abigail, not just as an intermediary for for her husband, but also for David. She convinces David, don't do this. She saves David. And so then, so you kind of see the roller coaster. The next chapter, 26, we have another scene between David and Saul. I mean, another perfect opportunity 
for David to, to get rid of Saul. He's on a platter. He's sleeping. His spear is next to him, the same spear that he's been chucking at David the whole book. And it is the perfect opportunity, again, for him to end this. But he doesn't. He restrains. I will wait for God to give me what he has promised. I will not take it through my sinful choices. So we see the roller coaster. So there's the last three chapters. Now, so we just hit a high point. You get to chapter, chapter 27, and you could guess which direction we're going. So right, up in the cave, down with Nabal, up with the scene again with the spear in the ground and Saul sleeping. And now in chapter 27, this is a down chapter. This is a down chapter for David. It's a head scratcher. You see desperation. You see fear. You see what I think is a lack of faith. God is not mentioned in the chapter. So where the last chapter, God is mentioned and guiding and leading. God's name is absent from this chapter as if to say, David, your ideas in this chapter, they were bad ideas. And so I think there's a, an important lesson that we can see in this chapter. It, it landed on the perfect day. It is a new year. I think it's a perfect time for us to see what David should have seen in this chapter as we start 2023. So here's that point, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Bad reasoning leads to bad choices, which leads to bad outcomes. Bad reasoning, bad choices, bad outcomes. Okay, so let me, let's go back just briefly at 26. This is how the chapter ended. Pastor Jonathan, many weeks ago, ended the chapter. Here's what, here's what Saul says when he was spared by David for the second time. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return to my son David, for I will no more do, do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Jump to 25. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. So we end the chapter on a good note. Now, we know David's not going to trust Saul. We've seen this before. Yet still, the start of chapter 27 is not the response you would expect in reading chapter 26. Read again the first verse. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of the land. It's not the reaction you would expect in light of how chapter 26 ended. You're going where, David? You want to go to the Philistines. You've done this before, David. And you remember, it didn't go well. He had to act like a crazy man to get out. The Philistines were the enemies. They were the ones that were against Israel. This, this, is, your, this is your arch nemesis. And, and you're saying, David... In light of everything that's happened, as well as things have gone in the last chapter, you're saying now, we must go now. We must go and live and hide in the presence of our enemies. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. 
Why are you doing this, David? Now, we all make bad ideas. We all have bad ideas from time to time. Things that we think are going to go really well, but they turn out, these were not good things to do. Bad ideas. Someone thought it was a good idea to invent the Snuggie. That was a bad idea. You might have a Snuggie. The blanket with pockets and the hood. There's now Snuggie for dogs. Bad ideas. We have bad ideas. And this, I really believe for David, this was not the decision for you to make here. This was not the wisest way forward. And you can see by where it takes them that this wasn't wise. Why would David do this? That was the question I had. Now, we don't have the whole story. We don't have every detail. But David, why? Look at how it ended. Saul blesses you. And again, we can't, you can't trust Saul. But why now go back to the Philistines? Well, the text gives us clues as to how David was thinking or reasoning that led him to make these decisions. So let's, let's look at this. Look again at that first verse. Why would David do this? David was feeling defeated. It's verse one. Now I shall perish one day by Saul. That's what he says. David felt defeated. And so he thought, I must act out of this understanding, this feeling that I have. David was feeling trapped. That's why he says in the first verse, there's nothing better than I should do than to escape. Escape meaning I am trapped and I need to get out of here. David was feeling doomed. Doomed by God is actually what I mean. He, he uses the word perish. Now that word perish in the last chapter was the word that God used for Saul, who was going to perish at the hands of God as David was going to replace him. It's a, it's a word that God is usually the subject. And so he's saying, now I am going to perish by the hands of God. David was feeling desperate. I'm out of options. This is my only choice. Nothing is better, he says. David was exhausted. Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but this is just the picture we get with David. Exhausted. Nine chapters, however many months this has been, on the run. And the picture of what I'm thinking of when David got this idea he was in the middle of the night. He couldn't sleep. He's exhausted. He's been on the run. The weight of responsibility, the text tells us that not only his 600 men go with him, but all their families. So the weight of the responsibility that David is feeling as he is leading these people, I mean, he is in a pressure cooker. And so he's got to make a choice, not just for himself, but for the thousands of people, their families, as he seeks to, to live. But listen, these were David's feelings. This was his reasoning for going to the, to the Philistines, but they were they were wrong. Real feelings can be really wrong. You can feel something and it not be reality. And this, this, was, this was the truth for David. When, when I said David was feeling defeated, David wasn't going to get defeated. He, he had had the promise of Jonathan earlier in the book. He had the promise from Abigail in chapter 20. David, don't you remember what all these people have been saying to you all along, Saul will not get to you 
Abigail's words to him. You will be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of your Lord God. David, don't you remember? He is not surely going to get you. That's what he says. I'm surely going to, he's going to get to me one day. No, David, he's not going to get to you. David says, nothing is better than to escape. It's dramatic. Nothing is better. Those words just kind of pop off the page. Really, David, nothing is better than for you to survive and to figure out this plan on your own. There's nothing better to do than for you to live. Don't you remember your Psalms, David? Psalm 11, 1, the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a, like a bird to your mountain? When did David go and talk to God about what he should do? Why didn't he turn to God to be his refuge? David said to his heart, we got to get out of here. Never once does he go to God. Psalm 118, 8 through 11, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord to trust in princes. All, all nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I'll cut them off. Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. David, don't you remember the better language you've written? Nothing is better than being in the refuge and the presence and the temple of your God. Why are you thinking it's better to escape to the pagan nation where you can't worship God in the same way? David has very real feelings, very good reasons in his mind, but they are, they are wrong. They are wrong. And so we see, as poor as the reasoning was and as, as off as the feelings were, things work out for David. So you gotta, you gotta know this. It, things initially work out for David. This is verse four through seven. When it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So pragmatically, things are working out. David is living. He's alive. He's successfully evaded Saul. But then David said to Achish, verse 5, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant, listen to this, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? I mean, he is schmoozing this king. Sounds like my kids who want extra dessert. Like, Oh, noble father, like, kids, you, you are schmoozing me. And I, it works, too. I'll give them more. Take it. But this is what they, oh, oh, high king, your servant in your presence, I don't want to be a bother to you. Give me some outside territory that I can live in. And it, and it works. He gives him, Akish gives him Ziklag. And so what happens is the story unfolds. David uses this location it's a strategic location. It's outside of where the king can kind of keep watch on him. And what does he do? He attacks the enemies of Israel. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but how is he doing it? Well, he's going back to Akish, and what is he telling Akish? Not, I'm attacking the enemies of Israel. He tells the king Akish, he's saying, I am attacking your enemies. I am attacking Judah, I am attacking Israel. So he's lying to the king while he's attacking the enemies of Israel. But these, these lies and these bad choices start to pile up on David. 
right? Because how does he continue, how does he maintain all his lies? Well, he kills the men and the women so that no one can blow his cover, so they could, no one can divulge what he's actually doing. The sin is catching up to him. The hole that he has dug himself in, now I'm in the Philistine, now I've I live here in Gath, in Ziklag. I've, I've created this hole. It's getting deeper and deeper. His sin is compounding on him. He's lying to the king. He's creating a story that he can't keep up with. So he's killing the men and women. He's keeping all the livestock. But Akish loves what he's hearing from David. He loves this. You are my servant attacking my enemy, Israel. And so he's, he's loving this. He thinks he's made the best decision ever. But then in chapter 28, we see, just, we see it all come crashing down. Akish says, well, now we're going to war against Israel. And David, you've been so great in attacking Israel. You're going to be my bodyguard. And so now we see this moment where, where this, this is an infinitely more difficult situation than when he started the chapter. Now we have a a real difficult thing to understand and to deal with, a a truly desperate moment. David, what are you doing? What are you going to do? Now you are Israel's soon-to-be king, and now you're going to go fight Israel as the bodyguard to your enemy, bodyguard to the king that's been against you? And so now we see he's... He's in a much more difficult situation, killing men and women, lying, and now he's got to go to war. It's a bodyguard of the king of the enemy. Bad reasoning leads to bad choices, which leads to bad outcomes. This is the bad outcome. Bad thinking, David, means you made bad choices. Now, they were successful for a time, but what's the outcome? David, this is not ended well for you. And so for us, I I can't think of a better time for us to consider this statement in our own lives. I'll say it like this. Are the reasons, are the reasons, so bad reasoning, are the reasons that motivate your daily decisions steeped in Scripture or in something else? Are the reasons that motivate all the decisions you make in a day are they steeped in Scripture? So what, what I'm saying is it's really important for us to evaluate and to look at and to consider the reason behind why we do things and don't do things. Because if our reasoning is off, the choices will not be great and the outcomes will be bad. So what's the reason you don't read God's Word? What's the reason why you don't give? What's the reason, husbands, that you don't value your wives the way you should? Or wives that you don't love and respect and care for your husbands like you should? Teenagers, what's the reason why you're always going at your parents? What's the reason? This is valuable for us to consider What's the reason you drink alcohol? I mean, have you thought about that? Like, why? What's my my logic here in saying I'm going to drink alcohol? What's the reason you're not in a grow group? 
What's the reason why you're not serving here at Mount Calvary? You've been coming. What's the, what's the reason? And then I'm asking the question. It's between you and God to say, okay, is my reasoning good reasoning? Or is it sinful, selfish reasoning? What's the reason you're not committed to church? To Sunday mornings? Again, these are questions. And what happens is, is we answer the questions. And then we just, we never question our reasoning. And I think we see here with David. David had faulty reasons. His feelings were real, but they were wrong. And I think for us, as we start into, new, into the new year, my hope, and this is for me too, my hope is that we would evaluate our reasons, why we do things, why we don't do things. And listen, may God's word fill our minds that we would be led by his word and not our own reasoning. May his word be the reasons we do and don't do things. When David said, nothing is better, that's not true. It's not true. Was, was, was that better, David? Where you ended up in verse two? No. God's counsel is better. His presence is better. His way is better. His life is better. David, there is something better, and it's called living in the presence of God, letting him guide your life. And so for you this morning, if you've had a down year last year, I mean, you're a decision away from having a good year, right? Of saying, God, take my reasoning, steep it in your word, and may I make choices that honor you and magnify you in all that I do. And so what we want to do as we close this morning, a few minutes of prayer. This is what we call our, our confession time, where you can pray and confess all of us. No, God, I have not magnified you. And no, God, my reasoning has been selfish. Or yes, I have not made the right choices, but we confess our sin. And God is faithful and he forgives and he gives new life. It is a new year. So we confess our sin, but then we pray. God, help me. Help me to see my bad reasoning. And help me to make the choices that I need to make to honor you with my life. So take a few minutes Pray, and then we'll close with a song.